Welcome to the Lead Her Ship podcast with your host, Meredith Franklin. Join me every week as I interview different women who share their stories of success through failure. We will be giving valuable tips on relationships, business, health, mindset, and more to help you lead the life you deserve. I'm so excited you're here. Let's jump in. So excited for today because we have a very special guest. It's actually, I met Hannah through my friend Julie, who you just last heard speak from church. And she is so awesome. And she has changed so many people's lives, actually, that I know. And one of them being Julie, she's working with now. And she is a former military wife, a current outlier wife, which she will explain, for a mother to a miracle baby who, you guys, her son is probably the cutest talker I've ever heard in my whole life. And I just want to bottle it up and keep it forever. She's been in the coaching space for nine years, former freelance photographer, journalist, turned coach. She's a wordsmith, foodie, and a neuroscience geek, which that excites me to know. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear about that. She's a recovering perfectionist and a high performer workaholic, atypical, highly creative, intuitive, spontaneous, peaceful, adventure, hungry, type A who got stopped dead in her tracks when she hit a brick wall that she just couldn't power her way through. This started her on a wild ride of heading healing and digging into mindset work like never before. And she guides high achievers into radical awareness and breakthroughs in their blockages into their next level of success in their life and business. You guys, you are in for an awesome treat. I'm so excited to have you here. Hannah, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I am so pumped. Okay. So let's just dive right in. So I want to hear who are your typical people that you work with in coaching? Great question. That took me a long time to figure out because I love people. I am a huge believer in people. That's one of my Gallup strengths is belief. And if you're into Enneagram, which that's part of what I do with my neuroscience work, I'm a six, I'm a loyalist. So like, I just want to be around people and help people. So it took me a while within coaching to find like my tribe. And high achievers are it. It's people who have already hit like levels of success where they're stepping into just their superpowers as a human. Um, They're going after it because I'm not a hand holder. I'll tell you that right now. Like I don't hold hands. I don't spoon feed. I want to work with people who are hungry, who go after things, who are ready for that next level. And because of my own journey of what I struggle with as a type A achiever, former workaholic, recovering perfectionist, (laughs) more on that later, um, was I hit that wall that I just couldn't overcome anymore. And, you know, I don't believe you can help people when work through something that you haven't worked through yourself. And once I crossed over in that, once I crossed that bridge, once I knocked down that wall, that's when I just stepped into a whole new level of authority and like helping my clients. So yeah, high achievers who hit that blockage that they're just like, what in the world has happened? Like, why, why can I not get over this? Like I've gotten over everything else. Like what is with my mindset or my circumstances that are just holding me back? That's who I go after. 
So what typically is their blockage? Like what's their hurdle that they're trying to get over? What's, I don't know, just do an average. So like I said, most high achievers, like they, we all hit challenges in our life, right? There's nobody who just has this smoothly paved road where everything is handed to them. We all have a story. We all have stuff that we've overcome, whether we've put it out there in the world for them to know or whether we've just carried it inside of ourselves and no one knows our story. We all have the story. And I would say with 90% of my clients, they've walked through some really heavy stuff, whether it's like trauma, whether it's just really rough family circumstances, health issues, they've walked through something really hard and they've been able to power through. So when they hit that wall and, and it can be, I just already have to go ahead and get into the neuroscience. I can't not. So a belief within neuroscience is that your greatest strength is, can also be your greatest weakness. Like your greatest strength out of balance becomes your greatest weakness. And that was incredibly true of myself because I had a ton of mental strength. I have a lot of mental strength. And that served me really well when I was having to overcome an extensive history of trauma, all kinds of stuff. But then where it became my worst enemy was in that I was never actually addressing the root problem. I was just powering through, powering through, powering through. And when you do that enough times in a row, you lose touch with, you, be, you can become numb to or just completely unaware of the beliefs about yourself that are completely untrue. You become unaware of the things that you're just bearing and suppressing so far that you literally think they don't exist. And then when you hit that wall, the crap hits the fan. Like it just comes to the surface and you're like, what in the world do I do with this? And it's really easy as an achiever to like, what are my solutions? We want to fix it. We want to find a solution, execute, move on. And 90% of the time, the work is entirely internal. You cannot look for the outside solution to solve the internal problem. And so it's a lot of it is wrapped up in your identity, in your worth. Um, Achievers tend to have a very strong amount of their worth attached to what they can produce, what they can create, what they can do for others. And when you hit that wall and like you're in survival mode and you can't offer anything to anybody else because you're completely tapped out, you're left with, who am I? I can't do anything for other people. So what is my worth? And that's where we have to start first. We have to really dig in deep to that identity piece and then move back up to the surface to strategically move forward to that next level of success. But yeah, it starts like identity and worth mindset. So then what do you do with the person who's like, let's just give an example, like completely broken. Like they, they're running a business, but the business is falling apart. Their family's falling apart. Marriage is like, everything's falling apart, but they're like, no, I was doing this out of my self strength. So what does that look like to start with them? What do we do first? Ooh, the first step, um, not to sound cliche. The first step is normally the hardest. And what I was forced into and what I require of my clients is they have to stop. They literally have to pause everything all of the actions, all of the tasks that they're performing to try to keep things going, to try to just stay above water. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. When everything, like you said, is falling apart, you have to press pause. Like you cannot do deep work and create serious transformation when you're expending all of your very limited time and energy doing all the things. And so that's the first thing that you have to do is you have to say, 
enough. Enough is enough. I'm going to stop distracting myself with all of the tasks that I hope will help, that I hope will fix things. And you have to quiet yourself enough to start figuring out what is going on inside. For me, hands down, the hardest part of the process. And it was kind of forced on me. I wasn't mature enough (laughs) to choose it for myself. It was forced on me. And that's something I try to help my clients not have to hit is where they have the choice to press the pause button and start evaluating versus having it forced on them. How does it show up? Does it show up in like health issues or does that, how is it forced on someone? What does that look like? Yeah. There are three main ways I see it happen. Yes. Health issues. 100%. A book I highly recommend for people working through this kind of thing. It's called the body keeps the score. And it is just incredibly insightful. It's a heavy one. It's more like a textbook. It's not an easy read. So be forewarned. But the body absolutely keeps the score when you keep ignoring it, when you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. The body keeps the score. And so it shows up in chronic health issues most of the time, male and female. It's more prevalent among women because go us, we are mentally freaking strong. And it's one of our superpowers, but we tend to pay the price in our bodies. Mental health is at epidemic proportions today. And it's people aren't just talking about it all the time because it's trendy. It is a true epidemic. Just the burnout factor, the dissatisfaction factor, the disillusionment factor, especially in the workplace where people are like, I'm in the job that everybody told me I would love, that I would be fulfilled in, that is quote unquote successful by the world standards. And I am so deeply unhappy in everything. And that, that breeds anxiety depression, like it is just a breeding ground for mental health issues. So mental health is another one. And then the other factor is in relationships, which obviously those tend to play together, like your health, your, your mental state, that's going to affect your relationships, but seeing a total collapse in your relationship, because you have nothing left to give. You have overextended yourself. You have pushed beyond your limits for so long. You have ignored yourself for so long that you no longer have anything to offer to another person and you're functioning as a super unhealthy person. So if you're unhealthy, how can you produce and participate in a healthy relationship? And that, that will force you into quitting. Yeah. It's like if my health, my mental state and my relationships are collapsing really and truly at the end of the day, what do we have left? And this is such a poignant and like impactful example. I'm just thinking about the first one that pops in my mind is Robin Williams incredibly funny guy, known for his humor, had a family, had what the world would rate as a you know, wildly successful career. You know he had anything he ever wanted, all the possessions, and that didn't mean anything at the end of the day. His mental health affected him to the impact of taking his own life. And so it's like if your relationships, your health, and your mental state are not there, it really, you start to realize like, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Like you can take away my house. You can take away my possessions. That's not going to change my life, but you take away my health, my mental state and my relationships. You're left with nothing. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's give a tiny bit of hope here. Just, we'll just get a glimpse because I do want to go into this, but let's give a glimmer because the people who I want to give you hope to the type a here. So if you stop, if you push pause, Mm -hmm. the people that you've worked with that have pushed pause done the work that you're going to talk about, what does it look like for them? Like, I want to make those people realize that their business grew, you know? Yes. So, so what's the hope that you can give just a little bit? Cause I don't want to give them too much, but if they do the work, if they push pause, what can happen? Mm, so good. 
when you push pause, like I said, you're making the space, you're creating the space to do the real work. And most of my clients, they're either entrepreneurs in business for themselves, or they're on a really fast track in their career, in their work life. So whether it's as an entrepreneur or as an employee, these people are going after it, right? And how it impacts their business. And this is a phrase I love, like you have to work on yourself first before you work on your business because your business will automatically benefit when you're in a good place. Like your business isn't going to make you healthy, but you being healthy makes your business healthy. It's just how it works and how that looks in a very tangible way. I'm just thinking of a few examples because every one of my clients is, is different. And that's what I love. Like I don't just work with people in this industry or, you know, in this career path, you know, my niche is high achievers. And so they can be in a lot of different work paths, but some examples are like one of my recent clients the result of us working together and her doing the work, getting really uncomfortable with pressing pause and going internal was that she recognized, I love my job, but I hate my industry. So that was the first realization that she gained. She got clarity of, no, I don't want to do a massive career shift. I want an industry shift. And because of that, we were able to create the strategy where she landed her dream job in her dream industry. And she increased her income by 90% in three months. 90%. I like those kind of results. I'm thinking about another person who went through, who came to me and she was at that point where she's like, I have no idea what I want to do. And I'm leaving a career that's highly specialized, highly customized skills. And I want nothing to do with them anymore. It is not fulfilling. I'm deeply unhappy. And I have no idea where I want to go. And the time that we worked together, she got really uncomfortable. She sat with it. And what she discovered was her dream job, what she was made for, because she dug into that identity piece. Instead of being like, well, logically, based on my specialized skill set, I should, I hate that word, should be doing this. She tapped into her identity. She did the work. She has landed her dream job. She completed her master's program for that dream job while already having landed the job because she sold herself so well to her employer because she was so clear on what she wanted to do. She's had two promotions in 12 months and she's so stinking happy with what she does. And like she, she invited me out for lunch a couple months ago and she's like, you changed my life. That's not me as a coach. She made those decisions. She did the work and that was the result. You know, I have entrepreneurs who, when they break through their mental crap (laughs) and their limiting beliefs about what they can do, because speaking to all the entrepreneurs out there, which there are a lot of high achievers who are also entrepreneurs they, they tend to go hand in hand. There's so much doubt and fear about taking that big leap. It is a huge leap to be an entrepreneur. You are putting yourself out there. You're saying, hey, what I have to offer to the world is amazing and you should give me your money for it. That's a bold, hard move to make. So if you are carrying any amount of doubt about your worth and the worth of what you have to deliver, if, you are, if there is a shred of doubt as, about your identity, who you're selling to is going to see right through that. And it's going to impact your bottom line. That's the, so it impacts you as a person and it impacts your bottom line in your business. And I've worked with several entrepreneurs where they hit that income ceiling where it's like, I just cannot break this number in my business. And they blow through it. They didn't change their marketing strategy. They didn't change their branding. They didn't change anything about their business. They changed who they were. And all of a sudden the world is like, hello, they have arrived and people respond. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah. It's like that confidence. It's that you're, you're knowing like, 
I remember it was told to me one time, you will keep getting the income that you think you deserve and that you're worth. And right. once you go through that for some, you know, it's like, okay, well now you, you, you believe that you deserve a million dollars, $2 million, $3 million. Right. like that matters, but it's kind of like, you can see right through it. Like you can smell fear on the dog can smell fear. Like they can smell that right. you only deserve. Yeah. Well, and you know, a really a buzzword, a big topic right now are things like imposter syndrome, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's a fancy word for saying, I doubt myself. It's not about stepping into a room and being like, oh, I don't belong here. It started way before you stepped into that room where you're like, I don't think. And it's even like more than what you have to offer to the world. It's like, if you are not confident in who you are as a human being and what you were hardwired for and made for, I don't care how much you believe in the product that you're selling, the business model that you're selling, the service that you're selling. People aren't even doubting your service or your product. They're doubting you. Yes. So it starts with you and like, and you can manifest in your money is a really like hot topic right now too. And I love that idea of like, you have the authority to claim that money. However, I'm like, if you don't have the authority to claim just who you are as a person, you can do all the money manifestations in the world and it's not going to change anything. You can be like, I'm going to earn $2 million this year. I'm going to earn $2 million this year. But if the voice in your head is saying, you don't deserve $2 million, you don't know what to do with $2 million. You're a horrible person who shouldn't be trusted with $2 million. Do all the money manifestation exercises in the world and it's not going to lead to anything. Straight up. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't believe it yourself. So what is the work that you need to do? So that neuroscience mm-hmm. to get you to that place where you believe in your, your identity can change and your self-worth can change. How, what does that work right. look like? Right. So you're going to get some of my personal belief system combined with neuroscience. Like that's what makes every coach a little bit different, right? It's like our perspective, our take on things. So I fell in love with neuroscience and I paired it with my personal, like the lens through which I see the world. And what I love with clients is taking it like we take it way back. We go back in history and we go, let's look at childhood. Let's look at who you were before the world started telling you everything that you should and should not be before we've all had the crappy experiences and I'm not saying dwell on them, but you have to face and confront the lousy things that have been said to you and the crappy experiences that you've had if you want to conquer them, like you cannot conquer what you don't confront. So it's not about sitting in the muck and being like, I just had all these horrible things happen to me or said to me. So this is why I am who I am. It's like, no, when you go back and you confront them, you get to reclaim them. And so like, I can think off the top of my head, like a dozen things that were said to me as a kid that made me feel horrible. Like I was super skinny as a kid, like super skinny. So I was made fun of all the time about how skinny I was. Um, I was homeschooled. So I was a social misfit. Like I was homeschooled before homeschooling was trendy. You know, when nobody was homeschooled, there were so many things that made me a misfit. And yeah, I got picked on for it. Then you just have other people put their limiting beliefs on you where they're just like, oh, you're never getting, that's a sweet, you know, you tell somebody your dream as a kid, like I want to do, so I wanted to be an astronaut. For example, I legit did. I went to space camp twice freaking loved it. I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut, but I was also super practical. So I was like, when I'm not up in space, I'm going to own a gas station and change people's tires. Why I thought that would be the best job in the world. I don't know, but I did. I love it. And so of course 
the, both of those things are kind of oddball, you know, it's like, oh, an astronaut. Yeah. Cause everybody gets to be an astronaut. And then the, why would you want to own a gas station, change tires? So both of my dreams, when I shared it with adults, got really stamped, you know, just trampled on. And it's hard to, obviously, I didn't want to be that like a few years down the road. But when you share a dream with somebody about like what you're excited about, and what you love, and it gets trampled on, you learn to stop dreaming. You learn to stop paying attention to what's deep down inside. Like, that's what I really want to do, practical or not that's what I want to do. And you learn to start suppressing them and not paying attention to them and being like, oh, it's not realistic. It's not practical. It's not how the world views success. You start taking in all this messaging. This is what success looks like when you follow this formula, you know, A, B, C, D leads to this result, which is what we call success. And so with my clients, it's like, okay, we're going to go back to a place of purity, to a place before all these messages started coming in. And you can be like, how in the world am I going to get insight about who I am and where I'm supposed to go as an adult by looking back at who I said I wanted to be when I was five years old? <laughs> and I'm like, it's not about literally who you wanted to be. It's about the dreams that fed that desire. So when I go back and start deconstructing that with my clients, they start to, I'm taking that back to being a child, really. It's like, what was it that you dreamed about? What was it that you naturally loved? What were you innately good at? Like those things that just, they weren't taught to you, they were innate. What are those things that are in you? Let's start tapping into that identity. Now we have to do the painful part. Like that's the, you kind of have to bolster yourself up. Be like, oh yeah, I remember what I loved. I remember what I was naturally good at. And we take that strength and we start navigating through, okay, so what were all the things that started attacking that dream? That started attacking that pure version of who you were? Like you don't have to recreate your identity. You have to tap back into your true identity that existed before all the crap got piled on top of it. And that's what we do. We'd like, okay, what were the lies that you started believing about yourself? And you will say, oh, I just, you know, I have all these voices running through my head that I'm trying to shut up all day. Like I have to tell myself, you know, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'm a failure. And even that I'm like, no, there are nuances to this that make all the difference. This is not about shutting up the voices in your head. This is first of all, recognizing that that voice is not your own. You are not your enemy. And when you keep saying, oh, I'm just trying to shut down my negative self-talk. It's deeper than that. It is not you talking to yourself. Like stop attacking yourself and beating up yourself up for saying nasty things to yourself because guess what? It's not you. Truth bomb right there. It is not negative self-talk. It's other people's garbage stepping into your life and starting to talk to you. And the beautiful thing about when it's not negative self-talk, there's something really helpless about negative self-talk. You're like, oh, I have to just shut it up all day. No, you don't. When the voice, when you realize the truth that the voices are other people and their limiting beliefs coming in, you get to kick that out because it's a third person. You can't kick yourself out. And that's why ne trying to override negative self-talk can feel so impossible because you're trying to kick your own self out. That's impossible. But when you realize, oh, all these voices are outside parties, therefore I get to kick them out, <laughs> it shifts everything. So you start uprooting every one of those limiting beliefs. And then the neuroscience piece comes in really hard. When you leave a void, you have to fill it with something, right? Otherwise, you're going to slip right back into that same habit. Those voices, like they've been sitting in there for years. That's the thing is we have circumstances and experiences throughout our life that reinforce those voices. But normally, like when you hit an adult and you, when you become an adult and you start taking risks, those voices of doubt that you're hearing, that's not the first time you've heard them. They've been there for a freaking long time. 
and all they're doing is getting reinforced. So once you've gone back and done that work, like going through history and disagreeing, like, oh, that is not something I believe. I am breaking off an agreement with that lie. And you keep doing that. You then have this void because that thought, here's the neuroscience, that thought has been creating a literal rut in your brain your entire life. Every time you think that thought, it creates this, I mean, think about every time if you live in a place, not San Diego, (laughs) where it rains all the time, you know, you have these like ruts in the road where the water travels, right? And the, think of a dirt road and like that crack, it's bigger and bigger and bigger every time the rain hits. The same thing happens in your brain. The rut gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you have this massive void that you need to start filling right away. Otherwise, those negative thoughts are like, I'm really, as much as I hate them, they're really familiar and they just like to come back. So the neuroscience of it is reverse engineering your thoughts. Like, okay, I'm not going to sit here and focus on I am not a failure because you're still in a negative state. You're going, okay, what am I? And because you've done that work of tapping back into this is who I am before all the crap hit, you have all of these empowering beliefs to put in place of the limiting beliefs. And you start reverse engineering from your head down and from your gut up to the head. It's a two-way street. You're like, I'm going to live it out. I'm going to physically do things to prove to my brain that this new reality is the real reality. And I'm also going to be doing it from my head down. I'm going to choose to think what I know to be true before I feel it. And that's the beautiful marriage to me of neuroscience and the mind-body connection is some people just do the head down work and some people just do the gut to head work. And you've got to do it both ways. Like I had a client who was like, man, she, her mental block on something very specific was I can't do hard things. It's like, I just, I've never been able to do hard things. I need the easy route. Whenever I've tried hard things that hasn't worked. And I was like, okay. And we did some mindset work and it was helping, but she just wasn't getting over it. And I was like, okay, we need to reverse engineer. We're going to tap into that really powerful mind body connection. And we're going to prove to your brain that's in this rut, been in this rut forever that you can do it. She's like, okay, how are we going to do it? And I was like, what is something that physically has always been really hard for you? She was like, running. I can't run. I was like, okay. So for the next seven days, you are going to run every day. And she's like, but I can't do it. And I was like, yes, you can. Unless you have a serious physical health issue, you can run. And I was like, and what you're going to do by taking physical action and stepping into that physical reality, you're going to start proving to your brain that you can do it. And you're going to rewrite the script in your brain versus being in your head. I can run, I can run, I can run. And you can do it all day long. But if you don't run, then you're not running. She came back to me seven days later, massive mindset shift because what, guess what she did seven days in a row. She physically ran. She physically took massive action on the thing that she told herself she could never do. So just one example, but that's where we start. That's how the shift starts. Oh my gosh. I love it. And actually I can really relate to that girl because this week I've always said, I'm not a runner. I've never run like running's the worst. I don't sign me up for cardio. I'll lift weights and squats and stuff. Well, this week I joined the gym and sure enough in class, they're like, get on the treadmill. I'm like, but I don't run. And I've run two days in a row. And I'm like, guys, I'm a runner now. I can run yes. two Own it. Yes. Own it. So I'm like, and now I roll their eyes at you. And that's the thing. Like, you have to fiercely protect that new reality. When anything is new, it's tender and it's fragile. And people will want to snatch that right. And you're be like, oh, whatever, Meredith, two days. In a week, you won't be running again. People's crap loves to jump on you. They do it without even realizing it. They're not trying to tear you down, but it's just them going, okay, sure. You did it for two days. That doesn't make you a runner. Oh, sure. You did it for two days. 
we'll see where you are in a week. Right. You have to fiercely protect that new reality and own it unashamedly. Like I'm telling you people, owning your true identity, owning that new mindset, owning that new reality, it takes guts. Like you got to protect it and be like, I do not care what people think. This is me. (laughs) I love it. That's so huge because I think sometimes people like think that that could be prideful or if you're like even your posture raising up, people like, who does she think she is? But I love what you said. You can't, I heard the quote, like you can't let people rent space in your head for free. You got to kick that out, right? You do not belong. And then I love how you said you've got to take the action. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to have an amazing business or, oh, I'm going to be a runner. You got to actually step into that and mm-hmm. do the work and it'll come and it's going to work yeah. together. It's a pairing. Yeah. It, you got to believe it in your mind, but you also have to take physical action toward it. Otherwise, if you only do one or the other, the one action that you're not taking is disproving. Like if you're not taking physical action to the mindset that you're creating, you're telling your mindset that it's a liar. And if you're doing the work in your physical actions, but you don't believe it in your head, you're telling your body like, hey, what you're doing doesn't matter. It's not real. It's got to be the pairing of both. Like you've got to believe it in your head and you got to take that physical action, whatever it is, you've got to take that action. Well, and I feel like the most common thing that I hear and I've experienced myself is I can't do that. I'm afraid of failing. They do it way better than me. So you're having that comparison and doubt monster come in. And so all of these things, you've got to shut them up Mm -hmm. in order to move forward at all. Yeah, absolutely. And like, where does, let's talk about the root of where comparison comes from. I'm going to keep hitting the same note. You're going to be like, okay, we get it. (laughs) If you do not know who you are, you are going to look to everybody else to try to do what they're doing. Because you're like, well, they're great. She's so successful. She's so fit. She's so smart. If you are like in, if I call it unshakable certainty, if you are unshakably certain of who you are, you don't have to fight comparison. It doesn't exist. You're like, I'm focusing on my game. This is me. You're going to scroll on Instagram and you're not going to be freaking out about all the other people who are doing more than you. And it is just, it becomes a non-issue. Like we invest so much time and energy in trying to not compare. Again, go internal. That means you need to do the internal work. If you find yourself like giving into the comparison monster, that is your red flag. It's not, okay, I'm going to go on Instagram fast so I don't compare myself. Sure. It's a helpful tool. That is not the solution. The solution is, okay, that's a dead giveaway that there's something in me that is not grounded in my identity. Where's the missing piece? And when you do that, comparison is a non-issue. It's like flicking off a bug instead of trying to take down a bear. Massively different. So I know that a lot of people are on social media. I'm this day 14 that I've been off social media, but for me, the comparison stuff. So we see momming, people are parents and have an amazing marriage and they, their house is always clean and they're running this incredible business. And a lot of people say, well, number one, I can't do that. And so it's that we've talked about before this, that balance piece. Yeah. They won't even step into it because they're afraid that they're going to fail at all of the things. Right. So we address balance. Mm, My opinion on balance is not popular. And I ask people this, like, when you think of balance, what do you picture? You know, they say, well, I see like, I see the right amount of time spent with my family and the right amount of time spent on my work. And I was like, visually, what do you see in there? Most everybody, they see the scales. Like they see that little scale where it's perfectly balanced. And like the reason that we feel that everybody feels like they're failing at balance is because balance is an illusion. It is not a reality. 
and I, this is my bio, I'm a wordsmith. I think words are incredibly powerful when we understand the true meaning and it creates all the difference in your mind. Balance is saying the proper allocation of weight or responsibility to any one given thing. It is proper allocation of our time, our energy, our resources to what matters to us. You are never going to have this perfectly weighted scale of like my work and my family or my work and my health, or you have to choose one that wins, one that tips the scale. It is the proper allocation of where your priorities are. So when people say like, okay, so how do I get work-life balance? I'm like, first of all, it's work-life integration, how they fit together, not how they find this perfect balance. And second of all, the mindset shift around balance is what deserves more of my time and attention based on, and how do you make that decision? It's based on what you prioritize. And I can't remember the exact year, but it has only been in recent, and I'm going to say like the last 50 to 75 years that the word priorities even existed. Before that, it was the word priority. And it was the understanding that there was only one thing that sits at the top of the list. So it was not plural, it was singular. And then this word priorities existed. And I think that's what started to tip us into like, oh, I can have balance of all of my priorities. We can only have one thing at the top. Like think about a mountain, think about a triangle. There are not multiple peaks on a triangle, there's one. And what is the strongest shape? A triangle. So if you want strength and resilience in your life, you have to, and this is the hard part. This is the hard part where I'm like cutting to the core with my clients. I'm like, you can only pick one. What is your one? We can have two others that get a lot of your time and attention and energy, but only one can get the most. You cannot divide it evenly. So balance, I'm like, "Mm, one priority. I challenge you to shift out of the word priorities and shift in priority and then pick what else falls underneath that. And that's where you're going to be like, my life is balanced for me, meaning my time and energy are allocated properly to the most important piece and then the less important pieces. That's where you're going to find balance. Where would you recommend that? I mean, like, let's not give the answer away, but you know, that the first, the most important thing be like family. Is that what you're seeing is people take that one important piece is family and the other two are like business. And then it's, different for everybody, honestly. And that's something that I have to release in like coaching my clients because like I have my priority, right? I want everybody to live by that because it has changed my life. It brings me into alignment. It brings all the pieces into place. So I'm like, hey, you know, it's like, oh, I did this. We're all like this. Like, oh, that diet worked for you. I want to do it. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? Every one of my clients, their priority is different. So for me, it is really about, and again, it comes out of that identity piece. It's like, who are you hardwired to be? Therefore, where does your priority lie and what falls from that? My personal stepping totally out of neuroscience and coach mode, you know, my personal priority, what brings things into alignment for me is God first. People say, not your family. I'm like, no, based on my moral belief system, based on what is in my DNA before I met my husband, before I had my child. This existed before all of that. When I keep him front and center, then the second tier down is my family, 100%. That's the next thing in line. But because I'm in alignment, I'm in alignment with my family and I have the best version of myself to give to them. And when my family is taken care of and we are, we are created for connection, Human beings, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are on the Enneagram. I don't care what your personality is, your quirks, whatever. 
we are hardwired for connection. So when I'm connected well with my family, guess what? I give my very best to my work. When my family life was suffering, it my business was crap. I'm just going to be real frank. I was like, man, I'm doing all the things and I am not gaining ground. I'm not getting the clients that I want. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And I kept focusing on my business, my business, my business, fix my business. And that's when I had to press pause and go, okay, get my relationships back in line. And now that I'm like, yes, this is who I am. My relationships are in line. All of a sudden it was like, I'm not exaggerating. Easy breezy with my business. Now entrepreneurship is not easy, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It was easier like getting there because you had everything. It was an alignment. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I like what you said too about balance. Like it's every, you've got John Maxwell says um, that analogy of the tree. He's like every day go out and you, there's a hundred trees outside. You're going to choose one tree. You're going to take the tool, the ax and hit it five times. Now, if you did a different tree every day, you just have a bunch of scarred trees, but yeah. if you choose one tree and hit it five times every single day, it'll do what you want. Chop it down. Right. Yeah. And the five things he's like, my five things are he read, he like prays, he reads, he like, it's his habit every single morning. He doesn't stray away from those habits every single day. It's the same exact thing. And that keeps him in yeah. alignment. It's, yep. it's just true. And like that book, the one thing you can't do all of the things you've got right. to choose the one thing, get that right. And then everything else will fall in mm-hmm. line. Um, and I say that to my clients all the time. I was like this whole, I'm doing all the things. That's another myth that feeds this false sense of failure. He's like, oh, I'm failing. I'm like, you're failing at something that you were never going to succeed at to begin with. So that's not really failure. Yeah. It's this false standard. So of course you're not going to hit it. And I'm like, the, the truth is you can't do all the things, but you can do all the things that truly matter to you. So when yeah. you get razor sharp on what really matters to you, just run after those things. That's it. Yeah. And, um, you also said uh, something too, that, you know, the person listening will have to figure this out, but really what is like, what is the world define as successful and what do you define as successful? Mm-hmm. You know, like that matters. You ask yeah. your clients that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we go through a pretty extensive exercise on the identity work. And then there's something that I walk through with my clients and it's what I call the personal definition of success. So not anything fancy, not anything complicated, but we don't write down that personal success statement until after they've done the identity work because, and this is what I see from the world is we have all these typical contributors to success. So it's your path of education. It's very typical in there, your job status, you know, so we don't view the hamburger flipper at McDonald's as successful, but we view the CEO as successful. They both have jobs. They're both making money but we title one as a flake and one as a success. So your job status, your education path, your relationship status, very typical, um, your family status, your socioeconomic status, so your income level, your lifestyle, there is an obsession now about lifestyle. We have lifestyle influencers. We have like all these people are telling us this is what a successful lifestyle looks like when it incorporates travel, a beautifully curated home, perfectly organized, perfect diet, our physical appearance is part of our success. When we see those people, when we see the people with a fit body, the great job, they came from that school, oh, they're in a relationship with a really cute person, we're like, wow, what do we say? You really got your life together. We say that. Like, we're programmed, guys. We're brainwashed. Like, that is success. <laughs> And so if you don't fit in all of those molds, you're like, 
I'm not successful. Then you talk to those people that have hit all those molds. So many of them come to me. Why am I so unhappy? Why am I craving something radically different? I feel like I've been duped. Like I have all the things, all the things. There is that statement again. Why am I so unhappy? And I paint this picture. I think it's really simple, but really powerful. So picture in your mind a funnel. So we have the wide part at the top. You have the funnel at the bottom, right? And this is the typical world construct of success. So what do we want? Why do we pursue success? We want to be fulfilled. We're not pursuing success just for the sake of saying I'm successful. We want to feel all the things that come with success. And that's called fulfillment. Like I want to feel beautiful. I want to feel rich. I want to feel spontaneous where I can travel. I want to feel well-traveled. I want to feel all these things. And so at the bottom of the funnel, we have fulfillment. Like that's what we're going for. That's the ultimate goal, right? Is fulfillment. And so out of that, we go, okay, so what do I need to go? What do I need to do to feel fulfilled? Like what are my actions based on my feeling of fulfillment? What I want, what should my actions be? So we start to create all these strategies and plans. We do all of our goal setting. We set our resolutions. We have accountability partners. We go to the meetings. We go to the gym. We do all these things. And that's in the next level of the funnel. And it gets a little bit wider and it's success. Like, okay, so I wanted this feeling of fulfillment. So I set all these goals to pursue this thing called success where everybody goes, wow, you've really got your life together. I want to emulate you. Now I'm, now I have impact because people respect me. And out of that, at the top of the funnel is identity. And so because I wanted this feeling of fulfillment, I set all these goals and strategies and I executed them. And so I hit success, which is what tells me who I am. I'm successful. I'm beautiful. I'm healthy. I'm an influencer. And the funnel doesn't work. You know, like people are more lost in their identity than ever. I talk to more people than ever who are in the middle of an identity crisis. Like forget the midlife crisis, forget the quarter life crisis. It's like everywhere. I don't care how old you are. I am encountering people in identity crisis all the time. And so what I challenge people to do is I'm like, let's simply flip the funnel. Let's go at it from reverse. Like working from the bottom up is not working. Let's work from the top down. So if we start with our identity and you know you are grounded and this is what I was made for, this is what I'm innately good at, this is what sets my soul on fire, this is the thing that I will lose sleep over willingly. That's a big thing for me. I love sleep. So I'm like, if I'm willing to lose sleep over it, that's a part of who I am. <laughs> and then we write our personal success statement based out of our identity, not based out of our desire fulfillment, our goals. If I hit those goals, that's what makes me successful. I'm like, no, you, you establish your identity and out of that, you write, this is based on who I am. This is what success will look like for me. And that success statement's going to change based on seasons of life as well. Like my success statement as a single person is different than it is now. Like I didn't used to have success in my success statement, having a rich, vibrant, healthy relationship with my husband, being a present intentional mom, but that's in my success statement now. And so out of that success statement, then I set my goals like, okay, based on that being what's important to me and what defines success out of that, I will establish my goals. And guess what? When I hit those goals, what do I feel rich, unshakable? You can't take it from me fulfillment. And the world can be like, look at that part-time working mom. I'm like, I am so happy. I am so freaking fulfilled. I am good at what I do because I'm focusing on me. I'm not focusing on what you tell me I should be as a mom. I'm not scrolling Instagram going, these are all the things I'm not doing. I'm like, nope, I know who I am. 
I know what I need. I know what success looks like to me. Therefore, I set my goals. Therefore, fulfillment. So just reversing the funnel. Wow. That is like, I don't know why that's so transformational. Like that is huge. And I hope that the listeners are like taking notes if they're driving. Hopefully they like pulled over, re-listened to this. <laughs> it's so critical because we take, and our lens is truly like through the world's eyes and what, especially more now than ever. And I'm not going to say any names, but my girlfriend told me her daughter, who's in, I think the seventh grade, maybe the eighth grade. She said she was on Instagram, right? She has an Instagram and she said, mom, I don't know what's real or fake anymore. And I don't actually know who I am. And she was like, I I need to delete it. Like, I can't, I don't want to, are these things real? And should I be this? And do I need, and she's like, I'm comparing myself every single day. And so our funnel, like, that's what we're seeing. That's what our kids possibly, unless we take action and do something about it, are going to see those things and think that's how they should be and see the world. And I know, you know, when we grew up, it was probably more TV. It was probably more magazines. Like we had like the teen magazine, whatever. And so we thought that that was who we should be, how we should look. (laughs) The other day, I don't know if you saw this. I like couldn't even handle it. But girls are now putting glue on their lip and like gluing their lips up to make them have fat lips. And I was like, this is real life, guys. Like we... Like that is success to them. Like having big lips, like oh, that is tell me that. <laughs> You're like totally screwing up. Well, I'm never going to be out of a job. That's my job security. <laughs> that is total your job security. You, you like Instagram, keep going. Facebook, keep going. Because like, I mean, this is crazy. What mm-hmm. we think is beautiful what we think is success and so I think it's so beautiful that you flipped it on its head and you're like no you got to start with identity first who God says you are you know like write those promises and those truths down it relates to Julie's call too you know removing the root the lie that you're believing that goes way back into childhood and but here's the thing that I want to say and you will say it too and I would love to hear possibly a story about this but If you choose to listen to this podcast and you choose to say, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. But then you don't take the action to do that. You're going to keep getting the same results you've always got. That's the definition of of insanity. So do you have a client or maybe a few that you can say, yeah, they did not do the work. What happened? I'm grateful to say I can only think of one, which I'm grateful for because that like, I don't want to say that client, it's former client. Um, we're not working together anymore. Ended on fine terms. There was no bad blood, no awkwardness. It was just time for it to end. Like, I don't want to say it keeps me up at night, but it still bothers me. It's like the one that got away. I'm like, oh, because they are an incredible human being with radical potential. And every coaching call, we were hitting the reset button and they weren't doing the work. And they came to me with clear set goals. This is, I mean, it, there was no vagueness about it, but they would not change their daily rhythm to accommodate the change. And there's a concept to it. People say, well, I don't know why, you know, like, I don't know why I just can't get things to change. You cannot create change if you don't create the space for the change. So you can't expect to keep, you know, follow your same rhythm, follow your same routine, not shift anything that does not invite change. You can't just say, okay, yeah, I'm going to change and not create the space for it. He didn't create the space for it. He was like, well, you know, my, my schedule is really busy, you know, my commitments. I'm like, so what are you going to change about your schedule or your commitments? And there was a lack of willingness to do that, which created no space for the change to occur. And the change did not occur. 
Simple as that. And I released him as a client. I was like, hey, I'm not doing you a service. I'm not going to waste my time or yours or your finances. And we dissolved the relationship. And like I said, it was done very cordially, but breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to see that in friends. You know, you can hear like, and I don't want to, this is a term, it's not very nice, but it's like, I call these people ask holes. They ask for mm. help. They are wanting help. They are wanting change. But sometimes they're just wanting to talk about their problems. And I'm not a therapist. I don't, I'm not licensed or anything. And so, and I can give books, tips, tools, people, Hannah, Julie, go seek these people out there, you know, and then you see that they're still those things are still happening and you're like, I've been telling like, quit asking me. Like people are motivated by pain. That is the number one motivator for humans really and truly. If our lives are going well, we're probably not intentionally seeking out ways to change our life. We're happy with it. We're content. We're like, man, things are going really well. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If, if it's not broken, we're not going to fix it. But if we're in pain, we are motivated. And that's what I'm talking about with those high achievers. We push, we push, we push, we push, we push. We turn into assholes. Like something's bothering us a little bit, but not enough for us to be like, halt the presses. Something's got to give. And that's where I'm like, it, it's really unfortunate, but we have to hit, hit that point where you're like, I can't keep doing this. I cannot go on. We have to hit desperation because the pain is so uncomfortable. Well, and that's unfortunate you know, yeah. that that's where it takes us. And I even like will ask like, how bad does it have to get until you right. finally do something? Like, is it going to be divorce? Is it going to be, you know, your, your body's at your organs are shutting down. Like how bad is, does it have to get? And so until you take action and actually do the thing that they're telling you to do. Okay. So with your clients that you've worked with that have done the work, I want to know, I think you've told me that like their income, like doubles, triples, what it like, what have you seen with their businesses and like their income? Like mm -hmm. when they work? the first thing that I see shift is clarity every single time. It doesn't matter what industry they've been in, what kind of business they're in. They get radical clarity on their purpose and their message. So where there's been kind of this fuzz of like, okay, well, yeah, I'm really passionate about this. And this is what I want to deliver to my client. There's a lack of purpose and clarity of this is my razor sharp message. When you do the identity work, that translates into the identity of your business. Like there is, there is zero disconnect. Every single client, without exception, when they get clarity on themselves, they get clarity in their business. They know exactly who they're serving. And this is an excuse all the time with business owners. There's so many out there. There's so many competitors. There's so much noise. There's so much noise on Instagram, Facebook, like I'm paying for the ads and I'm doing all the things. You are just contributing to the noise. So when you get razor sharp on who you are, it happens every time. They get razor sharp on who they're serving and how they're delivering it. And all of a sudden people can hear you above the noise. And you walk into a room, like let's just say, you know, you walk into a party and there's just all the conversations happening, right? You can't hear any of the distinct conversations. You just hear noise and a hum. And then that one guy, that guy that's at every party who has like the most hilarious story, your ear tunes in, you become that person at the party. Cause you're like, I know who I am. I'm comfortable in my skin. I don't care who hears it. And all of a sudden people perk up and they're listening to you. So 
first, they become razor sharp in their message and their, their clientele. And with that, the clients should start coming in, which impacts your bottom line and your revenue so quickly. So with business owners and entrepreneurs, that's what I see. With people in career transition or acceleration, they get the raise or they change jobs and get paid what they're supposed to be paid. Like the girl who changed industries and increased her pay by 90%. It is really that simple. The hard work is the internal. Every, it's a domino effect after that. Tipping that first domino, I know it's freaking hard. But once yeah. you do, this is not an empty promise. Everything falls into place. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. And I love that you only had one client who was like the only one who wouldn't do the work, but maybe he wasn't in enough pain. Like it just he wasn't, he's comfortable. And that's the thing is, and I, he even owned that on our last call. He's like, I'm comfortable. I'm like, yep. Come back to me when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> and I, but I also say to that, like, I want to encourage people listening, like think about I think reflect back on one of those times we've all had them where we get so uncomfortable that we do something to change it. Like I'm so unhappy in this dating relationship as much as I hate breakups, I'm going to break up with the guy or my health is so bad. I've got to do something to change it. We've all had that moment in one way or another. So think about the massive action that you took in that moment. You did the breakup, you cut your hair, you dyed it. Like, let's be real people. It's what we do. Think about if we took that kind of massive action when we were healthy and happy. So you go, how do those people, those people that we look at, let's, you know, John Maxwell, there's so many examples, Oprah, let's like, let's go big, Oprah. You're like, well, I know they're not just going from one crappy situation to a net to the next that's making them take massive action. No, they are choosing to take massive action when they are happy and healthy. Once you've done that initial breakthrough of taking the massive action when you're miserable, keep doing it when you're happy and healthy. That's how you become your most successful self. I'm not saying be Oprah. I'm not saying be John Maxwell. I'm just saying that's how you're going to hit your highest level of success. Well, and you're no longer operating. Like I just heard this sermon the other day. You're no longer operating out of spirit of fear, out of spirit of control, out of spirit of anger. Like anger is driving you to get back at your ex-boyfriend, whatever. Like you're not operating in that spirit. You're operating in a spirit of an alignment of who you are and happiness and true self-worth. And so that's when you need to take the action is like when you're operating. But you're saying, so you have to first know and change that spirit that you're operating out of. Yeah. And that's what people, I don't think truly, and yeah, like you're saying until they're in that pain, they won't do that and getting uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And they don't want to get uncomfortable (laughs) and they don't want to be vulnerable. Like that's, that's like a big, and that means that you've got to release pride. You've got to release ego and that's not fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Vulnerability was non-existent for me before this journey began that you said that you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. I did not want to be vulnerable. And thing is, and I kept pushing through and I kept pushing through and you know how anybody who knew me, the number one word that was used to describe me was resilient. I feel like Hannah is so freaking resilient. Like she just came through that. She just came through this. And you know, what was really hard is internally, I did not feel resilient. I felt like I was at my breaking point all the time. That doesn't feel like resilience speaks of strength, of adaptability, of power. I did not feel adaptable. I didn't feel powerful. I didn't feel strong. I felt like at any moment I could break. That is not resilience. And it took vulnerability of being like, okay, guess what guys? (laughs) I am a 
freaking mess inside. I'm keeping it together on the outside, but I'm a freaking mess on the inside. And I made that decision. I was like, I don't care how messy it gets. I'm going to blow this wide open. That was literally like the verbiage in my head. I'm like, I'm going to blow it wide open. And I don't care how messy and how long it takes me to figure it out. I'm done. Like I am done. And it was really messy, like explosion messy. I don't even know how to describe it on like a personal level. But yeah, it's what it takes. Vulnerability. Absolutely. And honestly, if you're not honest with yourself and you don't take that ownership of like, hey, I've allowed this to happen, then you cannot move forward and you always live in that mess. Yep. It's just so important to do the work. I had a question for you just to give the the listeners a really quickly because you are, I feel like you're a highly organized person. If you're a type A, I'm not. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And I love like, I have so many sevens in my life. I love you. <laughs> oh, good. But I and I'm a high achiever, but I so I'm like a seven out of three, but mm-hmm. I am not organized. So I texted you the other day. I'm like, have you heard of Trello board? Yes. So, why don't you kind of give us a few organizational sites, apps, things that you want to share with the listeners? Okay. Awesome. I love that. So something I use every single day is Evernote. It's an app on my phone and I use this for one, well, two distinct purposes. One is like the grocery lists and you know, what I need to buy at Target, that kind of thing because I cannot use up valuable real estate in my head to remember I need laundry soap. Like I got bigger things to do with my brain. But what I really love about Evernote is I use it as an idea storage facility (laughs) because so much is happening in our heads. Like we, people have so many amazing ideas that get suffocated with the noise in our heads, right? And what I love about the structure of Evernote, I love it because it's on my phone. So literally anywhere that I am, whether I'm at home or I'm on the go, like if I left my journal, my notebook, my computer at home, I've always got my phone with me. And with Evernote, you can create... You can not just write in a note in your phone. You can create this amazing like notebook with chapters. You can allocate these ideas. And I, I use it as my idea filter. So it's for me, it starts with mental organization. <laughs> like I have got to rein this in. <laughs> and so as a business owner, like speaking to all the business owners, what I love about it is I get hit with ideas all the time. Like all the time, like, oh, I should do this or, ooh, I should... Ooh, I should think about that, like shifting my marketing or da 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 da. And then I can just go into like hyper busy mode, right? And I can start investing my time and energy in things that are not really producing for me. So, first of all, Evernote allows me to organize my ideas. So, I have like, you know, I have the notebook for marketing ideas, I have the notebook for client offerings, I have the notebook for internal client documents. Like, oh, I wanna change that workflow, I wanna change that onboarding process for my clients to make it more user friendly. I put those ideas in their notebooks, but then with the bigger ideas, the like, I want to create a whole new offering in my business, or I want to do this. I have my idea filter and I tag those notes. I write them, I organize them with my tags and then I let them sit. And if I can come back in a month and I still love the idea, then I'm like, this is worth investing time in. Or I can look back at it and be like, what was I thinking? Like, I thought I was brilliant in the shower. That was not a great idea. Like toss it. And it helps me narrow down where I should invest my time and my energy. So it's mental organization and then time organization, essentially. Another app I like, it's a lot like Trello boards, is Asana. So it's great for communicating with clients that I'm working with. If they're wanting me to look at, like get into the personal side of their business 
they're trying to share a lot of like there, some clients want to just like, I'm sharing my journaling stuff with you. I'm like, great. They shoot it to me on Asana. So it's protected. It stays confidential, that kind of thing. So Asana, very much like Trello boards, great for projects, great for like when I'm working with a graphic designer or something, we share stuff back and forth. So I love Asana. And then for my daily to do for my time blocking for my shifting and changing, I love the app to do it's called to do. So T E U X D E U X. And I love it. It I'm able to like shift things. from. And here's the thing type a, I never, I love writing things on my to-do list. I'm like, I'm the girl who will like, I've already completed something in the day, but if it wasn't on my to-do list, I'll write it in so I can check it off. Cause it's like super fulfilling for me. I'm that psycho, but I love it because it's helped me be more flexible. The app is super friendly for just swiping an activity from one day to another day where I'm like, I don't need to do that today. If I write it down and it's weird, everybody has to figure out what works for them. If I write it down on paper, it's like it's etched in stone. I have to do it. If I put it in the app, it feels flexible and I can be like, no, that's not actually important today. I'm stressing myself out over a self-imposed deadline. This is stupid. And I shift it to another day. So it's great for time blocking, time batching, for remembering my appointments. But also the reason I love it the most is the flexibility to change things from one day to another. So those are, those are some of the apps I like live, eat and breathe in. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Brain dumping is something that like John Maxwell swears by. He calls it filing. Yeah. Every day. It's like quotes that he knows or whatever. And so every single day. And um, for me, you said the shower, the shower is like the place. And when I'm like falling asleep, like I'm falling asleep, I need to have like something by my head. Yeah. And so I, I do it in my notes section of my phone, but I love these apps you recommended. I'm definitely going to check them out. Okay. Right before we leave, I just want to ask you yes. a few last questions really quick. What is a book that you're reading right now? Ooh, great question. I'm reading so many books right now. <laughs> I'm reading back through. I'm going to tap on the one I mentioned during the podcast. The body keeps the score. So good for people who are like, my roadblock seems to be my health. Check it out. So, so good. I love the biology of belief. I'm working through that one right now. Biology of belief is so good. You can see a trend to what I read here. Yeah, I love it. I just finished reading through again. You're a badass at making money. So good. So good. So much about mindset. And she tells me, like, do the work. You'd be like, none of this stuff is original to Hannah. I'm like, yep. I just accumulated knowledge from all these people that I really love and respect. Another book that I just finished is called The Burden is Light. So good for the perfectionist out there. I'll actually read you sitting in my library. Forget success, comparison, and applause. There's a better way to measure what matters. So the burden is light. And then I also just finished To Hell with the Hustle by Jefferson Bethke. So yeah, those are the ones in the last couple weeks that I've been digging into. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. And then just give us like, (laughs) I made Julie do this. Tell us like one of your most embarrassing mom moments. There are so many. I know. And so you got to make everyone feel good about themselves right now. Embarrassing in what way? There's so many different ways to be embarrassed as a mom. I'll just go with a recent one because like, let's keep it fresh people, right? Uh, So this is like two weeks ago at the YMCA. I think all moms in San Diego go to the YMCA. I think it's a thing. It's an expectation. It is amazing though. So I dropped my son off at childcare. I needed to get some work done, get a workout in. So he was in childcare for two hours, two hours. All right. Lots of playtime. 
And I'm like, and that day before we left for the Y, I was like, I'm going to be the fun mom. I'm going to pack the really fun lunch. We're going to have a picnic at the YMCA after I pick them up. And then we're going to go to the splash pad. We're like going all out today. So two hours in childcare, I packed the really fantastic picnic lunch. And then we head to the, the splash pad. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to make myself awesome. I spent two hours at the splash pad with my kid. Okay. So I'm like, I am so done with the splash pad. He didn't want to leave. So I'm like, great. We're going to stay for two hours. So we finished out the two hours. I'm like, I really want to hit the road before traffic gets bad going home. I don't want to sit in traffic for an hour. So we're going to hit the road. And I say that to my son, Aaron. He's like, okay. And I was like, I'm going to, he does really well with timer. So I'm going to say timer on my watch and we're leaving in five minutes. Okay, mom. Great. Timer goes off. He's like, I need to go potty. Great. So we, with no tears, no anything, we magically go to the bathroom. We're doing great. And then it hits him once we get out of the bathroom that we're actually leaving, that it is time to go home and leave the magical place that is the YMCA. And that's, and my son is three and a half to give you context. <laughs> thus ensues the meltdown of the century right there in the lobby of the YMCA. And it's like a three story lobby. So it's just echoing off the walls. I kid you not. So Aram is just no, like epic meltdown. And it's where I physically cannot contain my son. Like, you know, he goes the arched back, the limp body. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, I just have to body carry my son out. He gets out of my grasp and books it, books it like fast as can be. And I've got all the bags. I've got the lunch bag, my work bag, the gym bag. So I can't run fast. (laughs) He books it across the YMCA through the women's locker room and out to the pool. I don't even know where he is. I'm just yelling his name going, Aram, Aram, Aram. <laughs> Finally find him as he's about to plunge into the pool with the lifeguard going, where's your parents? I walk out to him. I find him out in the pool area. And I had to have that moment where, and I hate this. It's so embarrassing. The only way I could get my son to the car was literally just like dragging him by his wrist. I'm like trying to hold his hand and walk him. No, he goes limp. So the only option I have is just dragging him by the arm, screaming bloody murder, all eyes on me. And I'm like, I don't care what people think, but wow, this sucks. <laughs> Out oh, to the car. I was like, my face, I was just like, well, this is one of my best parenting moments ever. Yep. We've all had that moment. <laughs> and you know what? I think all the moms were like, you know what? I've been there. Like I've most moms, there. I know. Like no one has not been there. So, and if they haven't, they're lying to themselves or they give their child the lollipop instead of dragging them. And that's not okay. So oh, I didn't even have one. I, I probably would have, <laughs> I would be like, I'm sorry. Or I'd leave them be like, bye. See you later. No. Um, or that's not my kid. I don't know who that is. Who, who belongs to this? <laughs> yeah, not mine. I don't know where he came from. Okay. And then my last two things. <clears throat> yeah. So what does leadership mean to you? Mm. To me, leadership means really being accountable and taking action on my own stuff, both for my husband and for my son, for my clients is like I said at the very beginning, if I haven't walked through it, if I haven't dealt with it, like how can I tell you to do the same? To me, that's leadership. And it also builds the skills and the things for me to be able to hand to others to lead them through it. So multifaceted. Yeah, the bottom line for me is like being accountable and taking action for the things that I know I need to confront and deal with to level up. Yeah, going first. 
Yeah. Going first. Yeah. Leaders go first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next thing, what is like one or two tips that you can tell the listener right now to do right now? Like it could be one tip, two, two tips, whatever, but what can you tell them if they're like, I'm there, let's just, what can they do right now when they've parked their car? So good. So I'd say the first thing is identify and everybody knows what it is. Cause we hear it all the time. Identify the voice that you hear the most. Like what is the lie that I hear more than all of the others and trace back the origin, like get really uncomfortable with it. Like once you identify, cause I, I'm saying we all, if you say, I don't know what mine is, you're lying. You know what it is. Cause you hear it all day long. What is the lie that you hear all the time and trace back to the origin? Like go back, like when was the first time I believed that where I heard it and I believed it and I made it my own and break it off, like break off your agreement with that lie. Like, I'm not going to agree with that anymore. And you're going to have to go back and revisit all the places where that lie got really strongly reinforced and break off the agreement you made every single time. Because I don't have a single lie that wasn't reinforced later in life. Like, oh yeah, that was where it was introduced, but then it hit then and then and then and then. Just go back through and be like, no, that is not true. That is not true. I break off my agreement that that is who I am or that's what I do or that's how I act, whatever it is. That's a game changer. So that would be one tip. And then my second tip and this is really trendy right now, but it's trendy for a reason. It has been in the neuroscience world for a long time. So we're all kind of like, yes, guys, good. You're getting on board (laughs) is a gratitude practice, a daily gratitude practice, because it shifts your mindset. It creates that, that space that you need to shift your mindset. Gratitude creates that space. Cause you think about like so many of the voices that we hear and about who we are, are speaking to lack. You're not enough. You're a failure. You'll, you will never be, you're a loser. That's all based in lack. So when you counteract that with sitting with and comparison, so especially for, I think women struggle with that more is comparison. When you start your day with evaluating three things that I'm grateful for, like what are three things that you're grateful for? Three things that would make today awesome and then a, a daily affirmation. It's, it takes three minutes, literally. So three things I'm grateful for, three things that would make today incredible. That's taking massive action, guys. That's on you. So you start with the gratitude, then you shift it into action, and then you affirm who you are, your true identity. It creates the space for things to go differently. It's breaking that repetitive cycle of negativity. It's breaking the cycle of not enough. Oh, I should be doing more. And the comparison thing, when you're saturating your mind at the beginning of the day with what you already have, it breaks the cycle of, I need more. I need more success. I need more accomplishment. I need a cleaner home. I need whatever. So it sounds so simple. It can sound woo woo, like uh, daily gratitude, three things I'm grateful for, three things that would make today awesome. That's on you. Again, that's shifting it from the mind to taking action and then your daily affirmation reinforcing. And it can change every day. For me, my daily affirmation has been the same for the last six months because I'm having to like break down 13 years of crappy health issues. And right now my daily affirmation is I am healthy. I'm healed. I'm whole. I'm full of energy. I'm vibrant and I'm strong. And I'm writing that every single day because I'm like, that is who I am regardless of my crappy health situation. (laughs) So- Those are my two tips. 
I love that. That's perfect way to end this call. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you so much for all of your knowledge, all of your wisdom, all of your honesty and vulnerability. We just thank you so much. You guys, please go find Hannah. Hannah, how can we reach you? If someone wants to work with you, how can they get a hold of you? Ah, fantastic question. Thank you for asking. You can hit me up on Instagram. So I am Prime Collaborative on Instagram. Shoot me a message. Check out my feed. Um, My website information is on there. You can go to primecollaborative.com. My website is the weakest part of who I am right now, total vulnerabilities. (laughs) But you can schedule a call. Like If you're like, I just want to get on the phone and chat. You can schedule a just a strategy session for 30 minutes and we can talk. My phone number's on my website. So yeah, check out my Instagram, Prime Collaborative. Check out my website, primecollaborative.com. Perfect. And that the information will be in the show notes. You guys can check that out and you guys message her, get a call in there with her. You will not be sorry. And thank you again, Hannah. Thank you, Meredith. It's such an honor. It was so fun to sit here and just talk about what I love to do. It's the best. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Bye guys. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. I love hearing from you guys. Tag me on Instagram and make sure you subscribe and leave me a review and tell us what you loved most about this podcast. Don't forget to send this episode to someone in your life who you know needs to hear this message. I love adding value to all of you. So thank you so much for listening and sharing. It means the world to me.